0: Our reading this morning is from Luke 12, through 34. This is what Holy Scripture says. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God.
1: Do you ever have that reoccurring anxiety dream? Uh, You know the dream. The reoccurring dream when you're in a crowd of people in your underwear or you're submerged underwater, or maybe you're free-falling, just about to hit the ground when you wake up. In my reoccurring anxiety dream, I'm taking the final exam in a college course, and I'm completely unprepared because I haven't attended one class. And that tends to happen to me uh, several times a year. Now, if you've had... This type of anxiety dream, you're not alone, because many of us have it. Because many of us struggle with anxiety and fear. And in our modern culture, this is only intensified. Uh, Those who work with uh, many who struggle in in the mental health uh, fields... Uh, particularly those who work with teenagers and young adults, are, are sounding the alarm of how prevalent this has become for so many Americans. In Dallas Willard wrote these wise words when he said, Feelings make excellent servants but terrible masters. And some of you here today are feeling mastered by anxiety and fear. Laura Turner... Uh, Writes a lot about this online, and she shares her own struggles with constant low level anxiety. And this is what she says fear in the form of anxiety is a constant companion. A persistent, irrational fear about the future is the best definition of anxiety I have heard, and it joins me daily as a heavy ball in my stomach or a fluttering hummingbird in my throat. Nothing I can do brings relief. And some of you here today, you know that feeling of that ball in your stomach. And you felt the flutter in your throat. And this is a growing struggle uh, of people of all ages. And to complicate matters, we have verses in the Bible commanding us don't be afraid. In fact, the admonition, fear not, is the most frequently repeated command in the Bible. But if you've ever been with someone who is struggling with bouts of anxiety and fear, you know from experience it's rarely helpful to tell them, stop being afraid. What are you worrying about? It's going to be fine. That never works, does it? It never helps the person. They don't just suddenly go, oh, you're right. I just need to not worry. Now, I've been guilty of that kind of response many times. And it only seeks to invalidate the person's struggle and making them feel even more isolated and more alone than they felt before and therefore only increasing their anxiety and worry. And they probably feel guilty. Like there's something wrong with them. And to complicate it even more, you have people who have experienced traumatic things in their lives, or perhaps they, they have biological, chemical imbalances in their brain that that contribute to their struggle. Uh, foster parents will, will tell stories of children who come into their home and they sneak a dinner roll or a banana and put it under their pillow at night. And, and they hide it there because uh, they've lived in situations and in, in, in homes where they didn't eat or they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Even though they're now in a home where they have a refrigerator full of food and a pantry readily available for them. But that traumatic experience from their past contributes to this worrying, fear, and concern. Now, I share all that just to hopefully set the stage and let you know that that anxiety and fear is a complicated matter. And and it's a lifelong struggle for some. And so I, I hope you don't leave today feeling condemned, thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get past this? Why is my anxiety so so strong I can't get out of bed in the morning? And, and maybe even, at times, you don't even want to live. It can get that bad. And so this is a serious topic. We don't want to take it lightly. And if you have moments like that, let me offer you the, these words of encouragement Maybe you, you, you noticed it when, when the passage was read. Did you notice what Jesus said in verse 32? Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. Now imagine if we only read the fear not. See, that's what happens when we cut out a, a word or a phrase out of its context and we just lead with fear not. But here Jesus is expressing his concern. He knows our frailty, he knows our weakness. Fear not is this condemning command, but it only highlights your, your failure. But I want to suggest fear not, little flock, is spoken with tenderness and with comfort, and it's more of an invitation. The author and counselor, Ed Welch, makes this point. He says this, So the fearful and anxious come to God who is familiar with our weakness. He is our sympathetic and compassionate high priest. Expect to hear gentle encouragement. Expect to hear the patient repetition of his greatest promise, I am with you. You're not alone. So if this is a real struggle for you, you're not alone. Seek community. Seek to talk with someone. Seek help. You're not alone. In these few minutes, I I want to encourage you, uh, because the most challenging part of this message might be to believe Jesus' invitation to trust him, And to hear his voice more than your own condemning voice. And that's the battleground right there. And for those of you who are walking with someone who's really struggling with anxiety and fear, I want to encourage you that your presence is often more important than your words. Uh, I read this story this week of an Episcopal, Episcopal priest. He was reflecting on his Early years in the ministry in his early 20s, uh, he was training to be a chaplain at a at a hospital in Washington, D.C. He was only 24 years old. Uh, He had shown up on the job with a starched white shirt, tie coat, badge, plastic badge, and and a clipboard. And he was working in the neonatal intensive care unit. And he didn't know what to do. He's looking around. Uh, He's watching these nurses care for these babies who are struggling for their very lives. You know, and he's looking at his notepad, looking around, trying to look important. And then he hears all of a sudden, Honey, whatever that is you're doing, you got to put that down and come hold this baby. And he he looked, and there was this nurse addressing him, and he asked, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me? And she repeated, she said, Put it down, the clipboard, and come hold this baby. And before he knew it, she was grabbing him, bringing him over to the rocking chair, putting him down, taking the clipboard, and handing him somebody else's baby for him to hold. And the nurse said to him, Honey, whatever that was that you were doing, you just got to hold this baby. That's what a baby chaplain Should be doing. And he said, Okay, okay, but what else am I supposed to do? And she said, Nothing. There's nothing else you can do. Sometimes you just got to hold them and love them and pray for them. And sometimes that's what we need to do when we're with people who are fearful and anxious. We need to hold them, we need to love them, and we need to pray for them. Now, sometimes words are needed. And the most important words we need to hear are Jesus' words. And that's what uh, this whole series in Luke has been about, is is learning from Jesus and his teachings. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And here in Luke 12, Jesus is speaking to all of us because we're all on this spectrum of struggling with fear and anxiety. And, And so Jesus is addressing us, his disciples, because this is a discipleship issue. Uh, Disciples are those who follow Jesus, who want to be like him. Some of you might not know what it means to be a Christian. You might think, well, being a Christian is getting your act together, cleaning up your life, being a good person, or becoming really religious. But let me encourage you, being a Christian is about becoming like Jesus. That's all it is. And that's really the mission of this church, is to help all of you. Whether you're you're new to the faith or you've been a Christian your whole life, it's, it's to invite you into a relationship with Jesus and seek to be more like Him. And so here in Luke 12, Jesus is making that connection when it comes to anxiety and fear. And Jesus, if you notice in this passage, He addresses the importance of your mind. And then he addresses the importance of your heart when it comes to fear and anxiety. In other words, Jesus wants you to to think and feel and love in a way that will help you deal with your fear and anxiety. He addresses your mind, what you're thinking and he addresses your heart, what you most love. And the Christian faith really challenges both of those things. And so that's what I want to go through here. And first, let's look at how Jesus addresses our minds. Our minds. Now, Tim uh, Whitmer is a, is a counselor. And he, he writes about our struggle with anxiety and worry. And he describes worry as a weed that infects our minds. And he, refer, he, he alludes to kudzu. You guys know what kudzu is? It's been called the vine that ate the south. Uh, It was introduced to the United States in the late 19th century, and it has run wild throughout the southeast of the United States. It covers more than 7 million acres. I have a slide here that shows you an image of what kudzu is like, and it's overtaking uh, sections, large portions of the southeast. Um, Timothy Whitmer, he, he's written a book called Mindscape, and he, he says this about the worry weeds that, that infect our minds. He says, our worry weeds can begin to take over our minds the way kudzu is taking over parts of the United States. Worry can smother the joy right out of our lives as it shields us from the light of the truth of God's love for us. Today's anxiety immobilizes us as our thoughts get tangled in what might happen tomorrow. And so we have Jesus trying to speak that light of truth to our minds to cut through the kudzu of anxiety. Here in, in verses 22 to 23, he speaks to uh, a reality that's true for so many of us is this idea that we connect our security and trust in our material possessions and the things of this world. Notice, he says to his disciples, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing, Now, we should note the difference in the circumstances between Jesus' audience and our situation today. Jesus was speaking to people who didn't know if they were going to eat that day, and they didn't know if they'd have enough clothes to protect them from the the weather. Uh, They didn't have refrigerators and freezers full of food. They didn't have grocery stores to go to. So their anxiety was related to whether or not they would eat, whether or not they would have clothes to wear. Now, our anxiety doesn't come from scarcity of food. Our anxiety comes from an overabundance of food. We're worried about eating too much. We're worried about having too many options. I mean, have you ever had that moment when you're looking in your pantry, it's stocked full of stuff, and you just shake your head and go, there's nothing to eat. It's overwhelming. And so we aren't fearful of the, the... of these these types of things of whether we'll be provided for, our anxiety and fear tends to come more from issues like identity and status and image. We tend to latch on to our possessions, our material goods, in order to, to fill the hole that's within us, the emptiness that we feel, to try to Make sense of who we are as people. You know, if we think if I have the right car, that says something about who I am, or the right job, that says I'm worth something, or the right clothes. We feel fragile and exposed, but in a different way than Jesus's audience. But it's still, Jesus is still speaking to us, He's still addressing us. And so he asks us to consider the ravens and the lilies. Notice he talks about the ravens and the, and the lilies. It's interesting, the raven was, uh, as far as the Old Testament goes, it was a lower uh, tier animal or creature. It was considered unclean. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, Jesus uses the raven and compares God's care for the raven with us. In other words, if God would care for a creature like a raven of course he's going to care for you. And if God is going to provide for the lily and the grass of the fields, of course he's going to provide for you. And so Jesus is trying to address your mind here. He's trying to say, look, your thinking is all screwed up because your view of God is all screwed up. See, Jesus is trying to make you theologians. In fact, you already are theologians. We all have a perception of God. We all have a view of God. Some of you think God maybe is mean and angry and mad at you. Some of you think God is far and distant and not involved. But Jesus wants you to see through this passage, you need to correct your thinking. You need to see that God is a good father who not only loves you and not only will provide for you, but he's intimately involved in his creation. He's trying to, to teach you to be good theologians. To have a correct perception of who God is. And so he says in verse 28, If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe You. You are much more valuable. You see, he's not only correcting your view of God, making you good theologians, he also wants to make you good anthropologists. He wants you to have a correct view of yourselves. To understand who you are, how valuable you are, how loved you are. We can so easily adopt this orphan mentality where we view ourselves as, you know, we're not really worth it. How could God love someone like me? And we feel alone, and we feel like we have to do it ourselves. That's how an orphan feels, right? An orphan doesn't have parents who will take care of them, and we adopt this orphan mentality with God. And so that's the kudzu that that infects our minds. We think God is angry or distant or not involved. We think we're worthless, we're unlovable, And Jesus is coming in and saying, no, your thinking is all wrong. You have a Father who loves you, and you're valuable, and you're lovely, and you're beautiful. And so Jesus wants this truth to cut in, and the light of his truth, to change our thinking. So he's addressing our mind, but he's also here, in the latter part of this passage, Jesus is addressing our hearts. He wants you to think about what you love most. Notice in verse 29 to 31. He tells us not to seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, and here's the key, seek His kingdom. Seek his kingdom. That word for seek, another way we could think of it is, Jesus is saying, love, pursue, desire, be passionate about it. So Jesus makes the choice clear here. He's saying you're either investing your life in things that don't matter, ultimately, or you're investing your life and your heart in the things that do matter the kingdom of God, the things that God loves, loving Him first, prioritizing Him in your life. And there's, you're, you're doing one or the other. And so Jesus is simply telling us, love God and His kingdom. Now I want you to notice, it's very important, He's not just telling us what not to do, and unfortunately that's what we focus on as Christians, and we have this reputation that Christians are killjoys, and it's all about what not to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't have any fun. Um, It's all about what you say no to. And we can become so focused on that that we set up people to fail. But notice Jesus is offering a positive alternative To worry, he's saying, look, you could fixate and focus on your life and possessions and whether you'll have enough, but if you do that, it'll consume you and ultimately it will kill you slowly over time. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, focus on God and his kingdom, the things that God is passionate about, like justice and mercy. These things are life-giving. Put your heart into those things. And then all the worry and concern tends to fade away because you are looking <laughs> at God and His kingdom. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. One that, that I've been listening to, it's called Positive Sobriety. It, it, it addresses people struggling with addictions. And, and positive sobriety is this idea that sometimes with addictions, people will focus on... Saying no to things. Like an alcoholic, it's all about saying no to alcohol. Don't drink. Uh, Don't go to a bar. Don't do this. Don't do that. And this podcast is offering an alternative focus in saying, you know, no. To truly live, it's not about what you say no to. It's about what you say yes to. And so if you want to live a sober life, and if you want to live life to its fullest, what are you saying yes to? What are you investing yourself in? And this is where our hearts come into play. Now, let me lovingly address those of you who are of, of the frugal you know, posture. You, you do a great job of not getting into debt. You do a really good job of not investing your heart into possessions. You know, you could find a lot of self-righteousness in that right you do a good job of not overspending and you might think you're obeying the scriptures well can I tell you you're not if you're only focused on what you don't do Jesus is more concerned on what you do do what do you invest your money in not so much of what you're not spending it on but what are you spending it on do you see that's Jesus' point? Now, I've noticed in my life, in trying to apply this passage, I have been guilty of judging those who struggle with anxiety and with fear because that, from the outside, you would never know that would ever be a struggle for me because I present myself as a very stable, calm person. And so it's been easy for me to judge others who are not emotionally calm and stable all the time. And so I project this image, but what I'm finding out, the way I do that is by suppressing any desire and passion I have. Do you see that? What I've noticed about myself is I attain that calmness And I confuse that with righteousness. I don't get angry. I don't get anxious. And I tend to think, well, I'm doing a good job. But what I hear Jesus saying here is, Jason, the reason you're calm and the reason you're not anxious is because you don't care. And that's not what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us to be passionate, to strive, to seek. Some of you sit around and you wait for somebody to ask you to do something. Some of you in this church have been here and you're waiting for someone to ask you to serve in the church. Why? What are you waiting for? Jesus calls you to seek the kingdom that is active, that is pursuing something. Not sitting back. The missionary, CT Studd, put it this, puts it this way If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Is that true for you? Have you resigned yourself to just being passive? Have you resigned yourself to deadening your heart so that you don't struggle with fear and anxiety? Hear the words of Jesus at the end of this passage. What does he tell us? Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is speaking of passion and desire and pursuit. What are we waiting for? Why do we sit so passively and think we are obeying? Jesus calls you for a full life. He calls you to a full life in Him. Would you hear His voice and would you follow? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, let these words sink in and may we, Father, not fall into the trap the evil one sets when he tries to condemn us. Wherever we might fall in our struggle with fear and anxiety, the temptations are many for us to live in condemnation. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, we would hear your words, fear not, little flock, that we would see you as our great shepherd and that we would follow you as sheep who are lost, who are fearful, who are anxious, and that you would point us to our Father who loves us, who will care for us. We pray for that truth to settle in our hearts today, and we pray this in your name. Amen.